Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you, and thank you for taking the time to spend with us today, and we can't wait to deliver some valuable content with you. I'm excited to introduce today's guest coming out of Colorado, author of The Standing Meditation. It's my pleasure to introduce you all to Nate Rifkin. Nate, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ted. No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, and I'm excited to to share some of your experience and, and your story with the audience. But before we kind of jump into that, I want to kind of give you the floor and give you an opportunity in your own words to uh, introduce yourself to our audience so you guys can get acquainted. Well, sure. Thanks again. The story is I came from a pretty emotionally shut down family, and I grew up as a pretty angry, depressed teenager. So went to college, dropped out of college. I said goodbye to nobody because I, I just couldn't make friends. The only person who probably knew I was gone was my roommate because I cleared out half the dorm. We probably walked back in. It's just like, where'd that guy go? And I decided that I want to start my own business somehow. I wasn't quite clear on how, but I want to have some sort of a startup going. I want to like be in charge of my own destiny. So I started studying marketing, advertising, and I thought there's a pretty good opportunity with starting an internet-based business. And I did. And this was back in like 2005, 2000, it was actually 2006. And it was a business selling fitness products. I partnered with my older brother, who's really into like yoga and fitness and all that. And I used my own credit cards to finance it. And we had some hit or miss success, but the misses started adding up. I started going into more debt and credit card bills would come in the mail and I'd kind of drop them on the floor and drop some other mail on top of them, which is a terrible financial strategy, by the way. And I got really deep into debt, which is very, very scary. Mm. But that actually wasn't even the worst part. The worst part was I was still just a really depressed, lonely guy. It's sort of like on the outside, I couldn't figure out how to manage and grow a business. And on the inside, I couldn't figure out how to manage my own emotions and grow my own like inner life. I was a very lonely guy. And I actually, at my worst, I was, I just had these looping thoughts. I just didn't know how to quiet down. I, I hated myself. Sometimes I just end up in the fetal position on the floor. And honestly, like at my worst, I thought about killing myself. Then I started actually drinking alcohol every morning, uh, like a couple of shots of vodka and mix it with an energy drink. And like, that was my breakfast. So the way I got out of it, though, is I was, I was fortunate enough to start learning more about meditation. And it was cool because it took me completely outside of all the self-help stuff I was trying because it's more about getting into more of like the spiritual side of your life and really getting off like the hamster wheel of like trying to change your thoughts. And what happened was I started training every day and I stopped having the urge to drink alcohol in the morning because I was already feeling good enough for meditating that the alcohol just started making me feel more drunk. So I actually stopped drinking that vodka drink in the morning. Hmm. And I just remember after a really amazing experience where I just felt like I was glowing from meditating, I told myself, I'm going to dedicate my life to learning about this because nothing else has ever worked out like this. And that was about 13 years ago. And I've had some uh, pretty crazy roller coaster rides since then. But that's why I'm so happy to talk with you about it because I kept my promise. And now, now I'm telling other people about it. 
Yeah. And I, I appreciate you a sharing the story and, and being vulnerable of the dark times, as well as finding that solution and, and sharing that with us and with the world. What was it that I guess spiraled into the dark times? I mean, for any of us, when we talk about no rain, no rainbows in the midst of the storm, I think many of us know this question that we all at some point in time, either look in the mirror or just think to ourselves is how did I get here? And that's a question that you know I've had, and a lot of our listeners might have had at some point. You know, what was I guess the spiral that led to to rock bottom and the eventual ladder that came helped them pulled you out? That's a great question. You know, I mean, I got two answers to that because we all have our own individual paths. All I've got is my story, but at the same time, we're all people, so we all kind of, I think, we all can get like basically blindsided by the same kind of stuff. So for me, it was the fact that I was all alone. So all I do is compare myself to other people. And this is before, this is before like Instagram was a thing. It, it was before Instagram was invented. Facebook was still barely just a thing in colleges, but that culture has always existed where I compare myself to someone else who was like in a happy relationship and has a great career. And I'd be wondering, I was like, well, what the hell is wrong with me? And then my mind would start looping into future scenarios, like scenarios of getting rejected, scenarios of something not working out, scenarios where someone would knock on my door and my rent check bounced and I'd, I'd be on the street. So that's what led to my downfall because I was devoting all my energy to these looping thoughts, which means I could not devote my energy to working as hard or coming up with creative solutions or serving customers better or coming up with unique ways to serve customers, which would make me prosperous. So that's what happened to me. But I think a version of this happens to everyone because when we're young, we'll get hit with traumatic events and we won't know how to process them. And which and why would we? It's not like we get born into this life with a, with like a user manual on how to work with our brains and bodies. Mm-hmm. So what happens is these traumas get stored in their body. It's like they get crystallized and like stagnant and like they get buried in us somewhere. And we create these coping mechanisms, these patterns of behavior to avoid them. Well, let me give you a specific example. Let's say we're like a young kid and we get yelled at in the kitchen, like a parent like yells at us. What they might say is just like, oh my goodness, you know, don't touch that hot stove. And they're just trying to help us. But what happens is that we feel bad that a parent yelled at us. We feel bad that someone so important to us made us feel stupid. So what happens is we go through life with this coping mechanism that, oh, I'm stupid. And we're going to act out that coping mechanism. Now, and it, and it's all it was, was just a reaction to getting yelled at as a young age, but we still have that buried inside of us. So I think all of us, when we're born into this world, have to go through something like that. And we have to learn to be able to unravel those coping mechanisms. And I think a lot of self-help doesn't necessarily address that. And I think something like meditation is the key to do that because it's a way to sort of unravel what emotionally rattled us when we were young. And as a result, our patterns change. And it's super cool because it's just like, we can start to feel more confident, even though we weren't necessarily like trying to pump ourselves up into a confident state. So, so that, you know, that's what I'd say. We, we all go through this and I think meditative practices could be a really powerful answer. I think so many people like, don't jump into meditation because of the hesitation around 
the silencing of the mind and the thought process of having to sit down in one aspect and do nothing. That's kind of the barrier that a lot of people have. How did meditation come about in your life? And what was that practice of starting and and getting over, I don't want to call it taboo because it's not like looked down upon or anything like that, but it's almost like the barrier of entry seems like it's too much for folks when they think about just sitting down and doing nothing, but it's, it's so much more than that and so much more beneficial than that. How was that journey for you in terms of kind of coming to that conclusion and in fruition? Uh, you know, that's a great question because I, I could relate because when I first, first, first learned meditation, I mean, and I, I forget exactly how it was probably just like seeing an article online or something like that. And the idea of, yeah, just sitting and doing nothing is like, no, like heck no. Like it doesn't make, it makes no sense. Like I have got a business to build. I've got a life to live here. And of course, what happens is when I actually tried it, I kind of sabotaged it and I was, I didn't believe it was going to do anything. So of course it was just very frustrating. I just, I was just like, I tried for 15 minutes and I'm like, at the end, can can I have my 15 minutes back? (laughs) But here's what I eventually learned. I just got fortunate that I had a, I had a teacher who was into a spiritual tradition called Taoism. The super short version is anyone who's seen Star Wars, the character Yoda was like based on Taoism, which is awesome. So Taoism is all about living in harmony through balance in all things and balance in life. And meditation is a big part of that spiritual tradition. So when I started learning about Taoism and I started learning about meditation through that lens, I learned about how it it's actually, it's consciously you're doing nothing because you're trying to quiet your conscious mind and sit still. But beneath the surface, it's it's like saying the if an ocean surface is calm, there must be nothing going on underneath. But it's teeming with ecosystems and reactions and, and interplays going on under the surface. And that's exactly what happens when you meditate. Think of it like a self-cleaning oven. You set the switch and it's just like you can back away. Nothing. You think nothing's going on, but it's burning through like emotional things that are troubling you. It's it's burning through these patterns so that they won't trip you up later. And it's all beneath your conscious awareness, which is why people would think, I don't know, nothing's really happening. Maybe not. But tomorrow or a week from now, something that would normally trip you up and you'd get into an argument, you're calm. Something that would normally cause you to think, ah, no, I'm not good enough for that. You just suddenly don't have that thought. And it was because you burned away that limiting belief through doing nothing. Uh, actually, another great metaphor one of my teachers said is like, you're returning yourself to factory settings. No, it's just just like your phones or anything like that. Well, when you were born, you didn't have so many of these self-hating thoughts or these limiting beliefs, but I'm sure we've all tried it. You can't consciously fight them. I mean, you can try, but it did, did work for me. Like, no, 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 I am good enough. <laughs> you just end up in an argument with yourself. But by going deeper into a meditative state, it works. It just does. It's like digging underneath the problem and uprooting it at its core. Yeah. And, and before we started recording, I kind of told you in, in terms of my journey, about two and a half, almost three years ago now, I started meditating. And it was a daily kind of practice that I used to start my day. And I found myself more temperate and more consistent in my engagements with people throughout my day. And about, I'd say, three or four months ago, life got crazy. I fell off. And as I'm starting to pick it back up now, it's it's almost kind of, it's coming back in terms of like, okay, this is what I've been missing. And I felt out of whack ever since. 
But the habit of not meditating has proven to be a hard habit to break while building the habit of meditating. So how would you advise somebody who either never meditated before, just started, or someone who has started before and they're working on getting it back, how would you advise them on establishing that as something that becomes a habit and not something that has to be intentional? Because right now, if I don't intentionally make myself do it, I don't do it when I used to be on autopilot and it would just be part of my day. That's a great question. And I've been there and, and I actually, I found out the answer accidentally. And it goes back to when I was in that dark place and I was drinking alcohol every morning. So what I do is I made myself a promise where I go, okay, I'll still drink my alcohol. I just wasn't in a place to stop. But what I'll do is I'll meditate right before. So mm-hmm. I would, my routine went like, I'd go take a shower, brush my teeth, do my thing. Then I would meditate. And then I drink alcohol. And I started with 60 seconds. And what I did is I took a timer. It was my only use for the timer at the time. So I took a timer and I had 60 seconds on. Then the next day I added five seconds, which is kind of cool. Like gave me like, oh, cool. I added five seconds. And then the day after that, I added another five. So I did 70 seconds and you, you know, I went from there. So interesting things happened. See, I was just trying to get started and I didn't have like, I just didn't have the will to stop drinking in the morning. But here's where the beauty of that came in. I took a bad habit drinking alcohol and I used it as a way to sort of sneak in a good habit, which was the meditating. And it kept going and it kept going and kept going. And I started with just a minute. And then someone might think, oh, well, a minute, that's nothing. That's not going to change your life. Well, on its own, maybe not. But actually, it's something you and I were just talking about before the recording, where it's like the little step you can take eventually will result because the whole journey is not going to be possible without that first step. So as I kept adding time, I started feeling the benefits from meditation, which gave me more confidence. So I started adding more time. And then eventually I felt good enough from it that I just didn't actually want to drink in the morning. Hmm. So what happened was I took the energy from the old bad habit and I fed it to the new habit. So anyone can do this because we all have something we do during our day where it's just like, oh, I just got to do this. It could be scrolling through our phone or it could be watching a show on Netflix that we love. I say, don't try and stop that. Use it. Say to yourself, okay, I'll definitely do that. Sure. Why not? But I'm going to meditate for just 60 seconds first. And then if you do that daily, it becomes part of your identity. And that's when it becomes hard to actually quit. Because if it's part of you, you'll start to feel weird if you don't do it. It's it just like, it's like if you walk out the door wearing only one sock, it would just drive you nuts. So that's how I discovered it accidentally. But that's how I install new habits in my life every time now is, is choose a bad habit and feed the energy of your new habit with that bad habit. Mm. I love that because that that is really kind of what my friend would always say. It's like, you know, he doesn't believe in getting rid of your bad habits. He believes in adding good ones so that there's no more room for the bad ones. He's like, well, you you can just keep adding habits and then the habits that you don't have room for will fall off. So the bad habits, they're still going to be habits. They're just not going to have the capacity to live with the other habits that you've acquired. Because I do think it becomes a daunting task to think about of, let me stop doing this thing. And something you touched on 
Two things you said that I, I wanted to reiterate right now before the end of the show where I re- do a recap is one thing you said where, you know, the benefits aren't felt or seen with the first few steps. We live in an instant gratification kind of society where we expect, oh, okay, I did it. Now what? I did it. Now what? So, so that was huge. That was worth repeating. And the second thing you mentioned about doing something every day to the point where it becomes part of your identity. And I think for so many of us, it's easy to look in the mirror and say, okay, we are what we do for a living or we are at our our jobs because we do that every day. But if somebody, let's say, wants to become a writer and they don't write, they look in the mirror, they don't see a writer, so they don't start the habit of writing. So it's almost like consciously creating our identity with the activity to really kind of hone in and lock that behavior in. And a lot of that might come by, by setting goals. And I know you have your thoughts on goal settings. I'm interested to know what you think in terms of the best way to go about maybe those of us that have audacious goals want to accomplish big things in life. What's the best way to tackle it and start going after it? Oh, sure. And I absolutely love what you said. I totally agree. And they even made me think of something else where when people identify themselves with their job or something like that, and they want to become a writer or something like that, something I had figured out later in life was that we might look at another person like a writer or someone in this position and we see the result, but we never, we never see how they're toiling behind the scenes and how tough it is. Cause I published a book and every, every day when I sit down to write, it's still, it's often a struggle and it really is. And I think a lot of people don't know that we just don't because mm-hmm. we only see the result. And that ties perfectly into goals because to to write a book or something like that, it's a long-term thing and you have to have the faith that it's going to work out and you have to have that intention to get there. So I'll be honest, when I was in my early 20s, and this is before I started like diving into the inner work really deeply, I set all kinds of goals and I failed at every single one of them. <laughs> and I learned a thing or two. And this is just for me, what I found was that I had more success when I completely flipped things around and I focused instead on what are my daily disciplines. And meditation was a big one. It was like the one discipline to rule them all, to paraphrase Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And then I would take another discipline and I'd install that and I'd start doing it. And what I found was that later in life, and I achieved a lot of success doing this, and later in life when I started talking to people who are self-employed or business owners who I became friends with, they don't set goals really traditionally. Instead, they just figure out what daily habits are going to get them there. And then let's say it's the money or the income or being able to sell a business. That becomes like the byproduct. And they're they're flexible about when and how it's going to happen. Because as we all found out, like, uh, or most of us found out, like early 2020, you could have a goal to open up like three different retail stores. But then if your county gets a lockdown, it's not you. It's not your goal that is the problem. It's it's your environment. And so I've had the best success with sitting down and figuring out, okay, what do I want my average day to look like? And what is my intention? And what what's like a project that's really going to fulfill me? Like I can have an average day where I get up at this time and do this activity, but I could also have a long-term project like a, writing a book and publishing that. And I'll just sit and imagine like how good that's going to feel and how fulfilling that's going to be. And that becomes like my goal. Now, I might not, I I don't necessarily attach a date to it. And if I do, it's a moving date. 
you know, I, I think it was like playing a sport. It's like you you want to you, you have your intention to win, but you you want to be agile and adjust. So oftentimes, the date to publish a book, I'll push it back, and I won't feel any shame. It's not like I missed my goal. I'm adjusting my plan. So that's sort of how I treat goals. I, I treat them almost like it's there's a softness to them. I leave them malleable. So that way, it's not like something to like punish myself with. Instead, it's it's something to like. It's like an exciting plan I have, but the way to get that exciting plan, it's built on a foundation of daily disciplines. Yeah, man. I wish I met you a long time ago because about two years ago, I had the same struggle with goal setting and and just missing every goal I set. And somebody had to ask me, they're like, whose deadlines are these? (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, mine. He goes, so what's the... What's the repercussion that the deadline's not set? Who dies? You know, what happens? And I'm like, nothing. And he's like, okay, so what's wrong with pushing the deadline? What's wrong with, and I realized, and this is something that for anyone who's in the middle of the storm or whatnot, almost never wants to hear, but it's like, I was doing it to myself. I was literally setting the goals ambitiously, knowing I probably won't hit them and then getting upset with myself when I dropped the ball and didn't hit them didn't give myself grace. And that was for me, the aha moment where I was like, okay, it's okay to have these targets, but beating yourself up for not hitting them is not okay. And what you talked about the daily disciplines, I love that because a desire, a desire without specificity is just a dream. A dream with specificity becomes a goal, but until that goal is broken down into a a plan and a strategy and daily habits and actions, it doesn't become attainable. It's not attainable without those daily action plans, critical mission, critical plans and actions that take you closer to that goal. So breaking it down into the day to day is really where the work happens. It's what you're going to do today, tomorrow and the day following until that goal is met. Totally. We still have some time here. And I want to talk about, especially when it comes to pursuing some of those goals and, and advancing our lives. And as, as much as you starting the habit practice and kind of taking your life on a complete different trajectory. I imagine a lot of that had to do with leaving the comfort zone. We settle in this comfort zone a lot. And we talk about it on the podcast where I always say, you know, the life you want to live is on the other side of your comfort zone. But the irony and what I found is so many people love their comfort zone, which isn't by definition that comfortable. Sometimes our comfort zone is, is, you know, working a job that we hate, you know, rubbing two pennies together to figure out what we're going to do for the weekend. And we stay in this cycle because it's the only thing we know. And it's not terribly comfortable. It's just, we would rather be there than anywhere else. Oh yeah. It's the hell we know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's familiar. And yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so tricky because I found one of the trickiest parts of getting out of your comfort zone is when you start to talk yourself out of it and you try and use like the most logical arguments you can, it's like, well, maybe it's actually not a good idea for me to do that. It's like, oh, oh, why is that? It's like, well, da, 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 da. it's like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. It's amazing how we can like use our brain power to like really talk ourselves out of something. So I found there are two, there are two really big answers that have always worked for me. One is actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that daily meditation practice. Because when you're working at yourself at such a deep inner level, you start to unravel uh, the resistance you have to getting out of your comfort zone. Now, it's not that's not the complete answer, 
because you, there's still that extra oomph you have to do at the end. I found it's a way to really break down the most damaging, limiting beliefs you have. The next step is to get around people who are also getting out of their comfort zones and who are kind of, they share the same growth mindset that you do, but they're also, since they're different people, they're going to have different lifestyles and different goals and, and kind of expose you to different philosophies. And most importantly, when you hang around with them or interact with them or, or catch up with them, you're going to hear about what they're doing and you're going to go, oh, geez. Yeah, I guess I haven't been really pushing myself like that. Ah, uh, and it starts like in the healthiest way possible. It just starts starts like eating at you. Yeah. Like my yeah, like my wife has been really getting out of her comfort zone because she's uh, starting a business where she's coaching women and it's and just doing a fabulous job. And I'm watching her. And I'm like, she's doing things that would have kind of freaked me out. And I'm like, ah. All right. So it's both that reminder, but it's also the exposure to it. Because when you're when you're exposed to other people doing it, it starts to normalize it. And in your it just starts to seep in where you realize, wait a minute, I know these people, they're my friends, and they're able to do this. So it's not impossible. Clearly, there's something going on here. The key is these absolutely must be hundred percent supportive friends. My teachers say something that I, I think is really important and is really true. Your friends are stronger than your willpower, which is like, oh, what, what, what are you talking about? No, think about it. When the people you hang around with, like you are sharing your beliefs and your energy so much, and it's it's a two way street. Their willpower is not as strong as your influence over them. So, when you choose your friends wisely, that's how together you can push outside the edges of your comfort zone and, and chip away at them. So that, that's what I'd say about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. We all know like the group of friends where you're like, I have work early in the morning. They're like, no, stay, no, stay. And you're like, I really shouldn't, but they talk you into staying anyway. You know, that's the influence that you have. Whereas I could relate being in a new city away from a group of friends that I used to be with almost as like a pack of lions and we were all doing something. And even further, everyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows I wake up early. I wake up at 1.45 in the morning now. When I was in Greenville, South Carolina, I woke up at 2.15 in the morning. And on Sundays, when my friends wanted to go out for Sunday fun day, they literally had the term, turn up till Ted goes home, because they knew (laughs) (laughs) I would go home early. So (laughs) that was the combination of my friend's influence, but also my hard line and their encouragement for me to advance myself. They wanted me to go home. Not only did they want me to go home so I could wake up early in the morning and do a good job, they wanted me to go home because they wanted to go home too and rest themselves so they can get after it. Because my other buddy was the one I text at four o'clock in the morning because he's opening up his gym. So it's having the community and those friends that are all kind of pushing themselves in their own lanes and their own realms that can influence you to keep pushing yourself. And what I wrote down was, you know, normalizing discomfort, making that discomfort normal for you. Because as I mentioned before, your comfort zone isn't by definition comfortable. It's just what you're used to. So if you're going to be uncomfortable, why not be uncomfortable with intentionality and direction towards your ultimate dream and the kind of life that you, you really hope to live? Coming up towards the end of the podcast here, and Nate, this has been amazing. I have more questions I know I won't be able to get to, but the last question, because I know a lot of the 
a lot of the meditation practice, as you mentioned before, came from Taoism, which I didn't know Yoda was based on Taoism, which makes me love Yoda even more. But right. how I'm interested to know how the ancient Taoists viewed adversity and how they handled it and what we can learn from their view and their handling of adversity that came into their lives. Well, that's, that, yeah, that's a great question. And fair warning, I'll, I might get slightly woo-woo on you, but I think it could be valuable. So like I was mentioning earlier, the essence of like Taoism, and by the way, this it's a spiritual tradition that's been around probably for several thousand years at this point, started in what today is known as Siberia. Mm-hmm. Back then, who knows what it was called? <laughs> it's like 5,000 years ago. I don't know. And they traveled down and it's really proliferated in China and Asia. And Taoist culture has come to the U.S. in all kinds of ways. Like if you've ever seen the yin-yang symbol, also known as the Taiji symbol, like that's from Taoism. Acupuncture is from Taoism. Chinese herbalism comes from Taoism. So it's like, wow, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, it comes from Taoism. Their philosophy was to live life in harmony and achieve that in balance in all things. Balance in your health, balance with your community, like we were just talking about having great friends and being a great friend to your great friends. Balance within nature, balance with, you know, the back then it's thousands of years ago, the animals you would raise and the crops you would grow. So how did they think about adversity then? They thought of themselves as in training. If they were born into this earth, as we all were, we incarnated into this earth, they viewed it as a training ground for learning and growing so that eventually either A, they become enlightened in this lifetime. Or B, they'd make enough progress that when they come back, because they're big believers in reincarnation, they'd be that much further progressed. And so they'd only have like a few more things to learn and to do before they would achieve like the enlightenment state Mm -hmm. that, you know, is throughout history. Some sages have been famous for like achieving like enlightenment and being like these gurus. So here's the useful part. Whatever adversity we get hit with. Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's necessarily a fair thing or, or even a pain-free thing. It'd be very painful and very awful. And I, I, don't, I don't want people to get hit with something that's painful and awful. But I think it's, it's very helpful if you can look at it and think, okay, this is a challenge that I signed up for. Somehow or another, this is a challenge that I was meant to learn something from or grow in such a way where something was, I was meant to be molded in such a way or something was meant to be burned off of me so that I can grow inwardly as a person. So I'll give you an example. Like when I was in the middle of, of my depression or when I was born into a family where I had a father who didn't want kids, who want nothing to do with his children and a really angry mom, I could have thought to myself, this is awful. What's the point? But looking back, I'm grateful for it because this allows me to be able to turn around and say, hey, I've been through this. I know what this is like from experience. I've got this story. Here's what worked for me. To me, that made it worth it. And I think everyone has this where whatever adversity we get hit with, if we can pause and think to ourselves, I may not like this, but I can acknowledge that there's a reason for it. And I have no idea what it is. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but if I know that it's going to be something where I can grow from, then our our creative potential is going to open up. And it's not like it's an overnight quick fix. But it's going to enable us to do the best we can and get through it the best we can. Because 
my personal belief, if we don't do this, we're going to get hit with the same challenge over and over until we do. So that that's how they thought of adversity. That's how I think of it. And I, and I think it's very helpful. No, absolutely. And I think that is the perfect transition in terms of the definition of what no rain, no rainbows is in terms of when we say, hey, you need the rain for the rainbows. It's a prerequisite. And and we talk about embracing the adversity to become the people that lives the fulfilled life that we all will hope for and dream for so much. And in one of our previous guests, Dr. Simmons, he, he was the one that kind of reframed that thought process for us, where he looked at me and said, Ted, the sun rarely helps the flowers grow. It's the rain that they need that provides the nutrients. So in essence, our hard times is providing us the necessary experience to be the people that will live the fulfilled life that we hope for. And by reframing that and seeing the adversity, as you mentioned, sometimes it could be painful. Sometimes it could be very difficult and not enjoyable for so long. But the utility of that is oftentimes the lesson we learn in that journey prevents us from future hardships in that same area. It can also maybe make us valuable to prevent someone else from experiencing those same hardships in a similar area. Being able to give that gift to somebody of avoiding a mistake that you made, I think our listeners, and by the way you're nodding, you can also probably relate to to that feeling of like, hey, I've been through this. I wouldn't do that if I were you. (laughs) It's best to stay away. (laughs) Nate, This has been amazing. I wish we had more time, but we're kind of running out. So last question is where can folks pick up the book, the standing meditation, follow you and catch up with some of the work that you're doing and maybe even look into some of that meditation a little further. Well, thank you. The absolute best way is uh, the website, thestandingmeditation.com just the title of my book. And right now, actually that that'll take you right to the page uh, where it's at on Amazon. So that's the best way to get it. Awesome. I'll have that link in the show notes and definitely folks can open it up and get there right now. But I appreciate you taking the time to share your story, some of your knowledge, your wisdom and and experiences that you were very vulnerable with with us today. So thank you for that, Nate. Uh, It's honored to be here. Thank you, Ted. Pleasure, pleasure. And really quick, I'm going to wrap up some of the gems from along the way, as uh, I know some of our listeners are probably in the car or or cleaning or busy while listening. So I forgive you for not having a pen and paper for this one. I had you guys covered. Be in charge of my own destiny. Something you said early in the podcast, Nate, was wanting to start your own business to be in charge of your own destiny. And I think a lot of us have that realization of wanting to have some kind of control over our lives and where we end up, which is why we do talk a lot about topics on you know, establishing discretionary income and financial literacy here on the podcast, because we do think you know financial freedom is a way to fulfillment, but one of the many ways. The comparison culture was was always there. It always existed. We know we talk a lot about Instagram and social media and feeling inadequate because of what we're seeing on social, but the idea of comparison culture is not new. It's something that we've seen. It's probably just a little more ubiquitous and more accessible to those who are probably in other remote areas of the world, seeing some of the things in the major cities and being exposed to it constantly and day in and day out. I made a promise to myself that something Nate said about making the promise to himself in adding on a small habit to what was already a bad habit. And I think that's such an important differentiator for us to kind of pay attention to. Because we always try and overwhelm ourselves. I've said this once before. The problem isn't necessarily commitment. The problem is the amount of what you're committing to. And if you're committing to starting the gym five days a week, an hour and a half a a day for January 1st, love you, but that might not work. 
<laughs> maybe committing to, let me put my shoes on and maybe walk out the door. Committing to, let me put my shoes on, walk out the door and down the block. Commit to that and that progress will take you to the gym eventually. But again, made a promise to myself. I love the way Nate framed that and made it a small promise that became big. Trick yourself. That's habit stacking, adding the small habit to the bigger habit or a habit you already have. Daily disciplines. We love to look at these big, audacious goals, the BHAGs, and we look at them and want to accomplish them, but we, we get down on ourselves when we don't reach them in time, or even worse, we forget about them and we don't accomplish them because they're not specific enough. But when we put in the daily habits and the activities and the habits that will get us there, we keep our head down before you know it, you're going to be a lot farther than you would have thought. And also find the people that are also leaving their comfort zone, putting wind in your sails as you leave yours. Of course, you're going to feel like you're uncomfortable when everybody else around you is in their comfort zone. Find the other people who are trying to grow, trying to be better, cultivate your friend group intentionally and build the life you intend to with the support of a great support group. Live life in harmony, live life in balance. And of course, work on meditation. I can say the benefits that I've felt. Nate has explained the benefits that he felt. If you guys are listening and you're still hesitant on that, I encourage you to reach out to Nate and pick up the book, The Standing Meditation. Guys, we appreciate you rocking with us for this whole episode. We know it was valuable. We hope you got some of that value and we would appreciate it if you share it with a friend or someone you know can get value from it as well. And make sure to hit that subscribe button for a new episode each and every single week. Leave us a rating so we know how we're doing. The best way we can improve is by getting some of your feedback. So that would be so beneficial for us. And if you love the podcast, you've shared it and you've commented and you've left us a rating, but you still want to support, you can do so monetarily by joining our Patreon page and you can hear more info from guests like Nate and others. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.